0: Welcome to Questions About Heaven, a podcast about giving Bible answers to our questions about the afterlife with God. Each week, we seek to answer real-life questions with biblical answers about the life beyond this world. Now, here's your host, Brad Zockel. And good day to you. This is Brad Zockel, and we are continuing on in our study in Revelation. We're in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 1 described the Jesus of the eternal state, the Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We don't see Jesus as just a shepherd or even just a miracle worker or a fantastic teacher. Much more than that, as we look here, John the Seer is on the Isle of Patmos in receiving a vision and writing this in the inspiration of the Lord. And as he writes this, we have been through the messages to Ephesus the message to smyrna and now we're moving on to pergamum some of your translations will say Pergamus. there are seven churches in all seven's the number of completeness and these messages are really a warning and an encouragement to us here today even though they're addressed to seven literal churches in those areas i mean there was a church in ephesus there was a church in smyrna there was a church in Pergamus, and when you see them We look at those and say, whoa, that was a great encouragement. Well, that can apply to us here today as Christians here in this century. And then we see, whoa, that's that's a bad thing they did, and they need to correct that. Well, that's a reminder to us as well. This is what we need to do, is to look at the weaknesses of our Christian testimony and our evangelistic effort, and just a Christian stand. What we're doing, how we're honoring the Lord. And that's the question that comes up in the times that are coming up and we all do really believe that these are coming near the end times are we honoring the lord are we really following what it says in first corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31 whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of god because because we look at this and we see in habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14 it tells us in the new earth the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of god just as the waters cover the sea there will be the glory of God that will be exalted and proclaimed. Now, what are we doing now? That's one of the questions that are presented to the churches in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Now, we are at Pergamum, and I'm going to start reading this. And we are in verse 12 of chapter 2 in Revelation. And to the church, that means the messenger of the church in Pergamum, write, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. So, you also have some who, in the same way, hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Well, a lot of mystery here and a lot of encouragement as well as a sad story as well. Let's take a look at this and really ask ourselves, well, how does this apply to us today? What would I learn out of this in the story of the Church of Pergamos? And we're looking at the present, or in our case, it would be the past, but something that would apply to us present to prepare us for the future? Is that the way it goes? Well, let's take a look at this, okay? Jesus is giving uh, a description of himself as we open this up. And he says this as we get started here. This is the one who has the sharp two-edged sword, and he's going to speak. Now, what in the world does this mean? Well, when you go into Revelation chapter 1, you remember when we talked about the description of the Lord, the the hair was white, mentioning and signifying purity, wisdom with age. Well, it also said, we didn't mention this in detail, but I want to now, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And he's showing this sort of his speaking. And this helps us understand when we're talking about this, what exactly he's saying. Was this a literal one that comes out of there? No. This helps us to understand that Jesus is confronting the church and saying this. You need to understand your need and we need to, may I say this, we need to slice away those things that are keeping you from honoring me, giving me glory. Well, we'll think about this. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 tells us, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, very descriptive, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So what he's saying is, you may give an appearance of being a very, very faithful church, and even in the face that some of you have made a supreme sacrifice, but... I know what is in your heart, and there is some surgery that needs to be done. And it might be brutal, a two-edged sword, really. I know your works where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now, what is this saying? Okay. When we see Jesus addressing all of these churches, he keeps saying this. The omniscient one says, I know your works. I know what you're doing. But in this one, we want to be able to point out some things before they go to the works on what the condition is there all right now we look at pergamus and this is given a really heady boy just a very powerful uh, uh, standing among cities pergamus but then we see here it says well this is where satan's throne is well we can see why okay there was uh, a belief by historians that pergamus was right in the epicenter of religion, of false gods, cultic, uh, the, the, the worship of those like Zeus. There was a, an altar that was laid out to Zeus there, and we could see that he is being held up as a false god, and the act of worship there. There was a lot because uh, Pergamos was also the uh, center of the Romans, as we talked about earlier, about the Romans saying the first thing you do is you will give the emperor his due. No more dead emperor worship. Then you're going to worship Domitian now. And What you did, as we talked about this, you would take a pinch of incense, take it over to a brazier, throw it in the flame, and say, Caesar is Lord. Okay? And so Pergamos was also known this, too. This was a political center. So you had a lot here, (coughs) excuse me, and you see in this, the, um, the, the, the powerful political and religious center, well, that's where Satan can really move. And it says this, well, what you do in this, you are surrounded by all this, so I'm going to give it to you, you know, give you some credit, the Lord says. You have held fast to my name. And there, they have been strong in their faith to Jesus Christ. You have not denied my faith. And that is a powerful, powerful thing that we just don't talk about a faith. We talk about the faith of Jesus Christ. A lot of college papers that I read when I'm talking, when I'm teaching my class on Christianity at uh, the university, I will have a number of students talk about, well, you know, in the Christian, to a Christian, faith is so important. We should know faith. Now, the university, King University, where I teach, not everybody that that goes through my class. That teaches of the history and the fundamentals of christianity and such are believers about half my class they're not believers but they're all to write a paper at the very end what is a christian worldview well there are a number of them who might even claim to be christians that will just talk about the idea of having faith a faith you know you've got to have faith well then i'll answer them well everybody has faith they might have faith in themselves they might have faith in the government everybody has a faith but the christian they are to have his faith faith in jesus and that's what is being said here you did not deny my faith says jesus he talks about antipas being a faithful martyr and we would see this as being such a wonderful title he was faithful as a witness martyr is uh, where, where we get the word martyr that is uh, martyros is the word for witness and that's what a, that's what a martyr is they're a witness uh, for the Lord. This is one very, very powerful being that is among their uh, church who really is virtually anonymous in what we see here except for one thing. He stood for the Lord and he didn't back down. And listen, wouldn't that be just the ultimate in a Christian's uh, testimony for the rest of the world that you stood even to the point of death does anybody need to know anything else, what your hobbies are, you know what kind of music you like? So many times in, in the social media world, we want everybody to know every little thing about us. And I want you to think about it. Really, does it matter? Does it really matter? When my oldest brother died uh, at the age of 56 and we, or our whole family was shattered, I realized in all of his life when we looked and what was so important about his life really gave me a new perspective on life. And I was looking at my social media and where I would tell people my favorite books, my favorite movies, and I just erased it all. And I basically put down in, in overall, really, what does it matter? And I still believe that there's so much that we can share. We might like the same NFL team or we might like the same kind of weather or, or, or some sort of uh, maybe inactivity. But when it comes down to people putting everything down, do, does, in the overall scheme of things, what lasts? What will continue on? and for the christian he says well jesus because jesus in knowing jesus and sharing jesus this is a treasure that can enrich someone else into eternity too so when we look at this he is here antipas lived where satan's throne was and he died where satan's throne was this is a powerful powerful thing i found this the name antipas means against all well he stood against virtually everyone around him And he was a powerful witness for the Lord. All right. So if this is so good, what are the things that are said that are bad about them? I mean, you know, if you have something like that going on for you, then you must be doing everything well. But there is something against them. I know your works. I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you have those who also have the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Okay, so there were a few things, but these were necessary to bring up. Some people think, well, if I just have a few problems in my life, it's it's, going to be okay. Overall, I'm 80% great, 90% great, but that 10%, that 3% that is in rebellion or selfish could actually keep somebody from the kingdom by the confusing testimony you show. Those things, I have a few things against you, they need to be taken care of. Well, let's go into this. You have there those that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Well, when you look at Numbers and you go into chapter 22 and you move on through all the way into 31, you'll see this, Balaam, you will see Balaam wanted to uh, to appease Balak, the king. The king was a king of Moabites. Maybe you remember this from the book of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. This is a wicked country. Balak was the king there, but what he did was Balaam wanted to uh, compromise, keep compromising. And so when Balaam was able to talk with Balak in order to appease him, he taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. And one of those things was idolatry. And then another one was sexual immorality. And those, those things were still being held by this particular church here. You see, when you look at this, and you would look at the sexual deviancy of the Roman Empire, I mean, everybody did it, was, was the phrase. Everybody does it. So what are you Christians trying to stand out, you know? and what? Why are you trying to be different? Everybody does this. And yet, we see this. When the church compromises, then the church has lost its reason to be a, a shining lampstand. What light? You're not giving any light. This is a confusing thing. It's a murky light. It's no different from anybody else. I just remember this when I was in high school. And I may have shared this with you earlier in, in one of our earlier um, times in our podcast. And I had a friend who uh, actually went to a church down the road. And we would see each other like in church softball or maybe would uh, our churches would get together. And there was one thing about him. I'll call him Bob. And Bob had a filthy mouth. Even though he was a Christian, he would let out because I think he wanted people to know. And I went to a public high school in Delaware. And one time while he was there just streaming out all kinds of profanity, a guy on the other end of the table who was nowhere near a Christian leaned down and he goes, Hey, Bobby, so tell me which church you go to now? And the whole table exploded in laughter. And then Bob was caught, you know, being, he was just mortified. And no one would take him serious because of this. He wanted to be like the world. He didn't want to appear too nice but his his whole testimony was absolutely just laughed at in the in, in in that way. And do we have that in any way as with this church in Pergamus? Do we have any way in which we're compromising? We just we don't want to offend. We just want to get along with the world and we just want to have a nice life. So we'll compromise where we will. Well, this is what Balaam's doctrine was. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans here. Now, Revelation chapter 2 in verse 6 The Ephesian church, then Jesus says, good for you. You hate this doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So the Nicolaitans had some sort of a doctrine which was so volatile, it's being brought up again and again and again. So just to remind you, Nike is victory. Laos is uh, people. So you're going to see Nika'o Laos is victory over the people. And what that would say was, we're not really sure whether it was a priesthood that just told everybody what to do and they obeyed and it was a cultic thing, or it was just something where they're saying the people will win and forget about God. It could be one of those things. We're not really sure, but we do know immorality was part of their belief too. And this is saying this, you have there... You have them there, and you're not doing anything about it. They're within your midst, and you're allowing this. And that is part of the judgment here. Because what they're saying then is, well, we want to be tolerant. We don't want anybody to be offended. We accept all. Now, in your church and mine, do we allow people who would believe would be a non-believer to come and hear? Of course. But to be a member and say, this doctrine, we have the same doctrine? Well, of course not. Um, any more than you would have political parties that would say, "Well, we can join each other because we we have the same beliefs," or if someone were to come in and say, "Well, you know, I'm here, and uh, you know, just because I'm here and visiting, uh, you must make me a member," and we have all kinds of confusion on that. And this is what was happening here, just like in Corinth, they said, "Well, you know, we know that there's sexual immorality, but we really don't want to judge," and you know, Paul just went nuts. In 1st Corinthians chapter 5 of that and said this is absolutely amazing that you would act this way and be accepting of this and so you know I, I ask you uh, Christian are we giving glory to God in our church are we giving uh entertainment to the people uh tolerance to the the people are we learning anything about the God of heaven and in there his holiness which really means sacred separateness so god says verse 16 repent or i'll come to you quickly and i will fight against them with the sword of my mouth now remember this word repent means to change to change your heart to change your mind Uh, in english changing your mind is too flippant so i'd say change your life 180 degree turn what you were heading for you turn away you repent now or else i'll come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth and so this jesus that we talked about When we uh, had said, we talked about him having the two-edged sword would come and use that. He would confront them. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word will condemn you. The word will judge you. His words are like a two-edged sword and they will pierce and they will slash. Just be on the right side of the Lord and you'll be fine, but they won't. So he says this and it's like he stood back. It'd be like a teacher whenever I was in fourth grade. And I would do something and she would yell at me and then realize this is an example for everybody. And to further embarrass us all, hey, I deserved it. And she'd sit back and go, I want everybody to know, you try this kind of stuff, you're going to get it. Whatever it was. And this is kind of what Jesus is doing. Okay, I'm talking to you, Pergamus, but I'm going to stand back. Who who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This false teaching, this accepting of immorality is going to Stop allowing it in your service is going so Well, I don't do it myself, but I don't want to judge them. No, that's got to stop. That's just as bad. But now, listen to this. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Now, the finding the hidden manna, now we've seen this. Jesus is known as the true bread, right? Uh, John chapter 6, I am the bread. And there, he is saying that the hidden manna, these uh, overcoming... You're going to receive something that is hidden from the rest of the world. The true sustenance. Okay, Just like it says in Matthew chapter 5. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be fed. That's what it's saying here as well. The white stone is a very, very powerful thing here. Now, the white stone, there could be one thing. If you had, uh, in, in some court cases, there would be a white stone of acquittal that was used in a court of law, that could be one uh, on there. And it could be, it's a powerful thing because it says this, there is a white stone with a name inscribed on it. And I find this very, very powerful here when it tells you this, on the stone a new name written which no one knows except for him who receives it. What in the world? Because this is not just a, a generic stone to let you Uh, get away with anything or just go on. No, this is more, this is a personalized etched stone, all right? A secret name, all right? Could this be the name of God on there, the name of your characteristic, or you're given a whole new name? Well, we believe, you know, just like Simon was called Simon Peter, the, the Lord gave him an extra name of extra power. That could be like this. It's showing this. I have an extra name And this would be a special name I'm giving you. Just as a dad might have a special name for one of his children, mom might have a special nickname for one of the little ones. That would be the same thing here, possibly, on this too. And uh, as we see this, we're seeing a special promise made. This lets us know our God's a personal God. Remember Revelation 21 in verse 4? He'll wipe away all tears personally. He'll wipe them away. He will watch over you. He will care for you. He has gifts, Revelation twenty two twelve 12, to bring to you, to reward to you for your faithful service. And uh, Zephaniah chapter three and verse 17, he's going to be so happy to see you. He's going to sing to you. So there's an encouragement here if we are following the Lord and let us be careful about the spirit of compromise. We, the question is, do you want to be friends with the world or the friends with the Lord? It's your call. We'll talk some more here as we continue through Revelation 2. Thank you so much for following me here verse by verse through Revelation. Thanks for joining us this week on Questions About Heaven with Brad Zockel of the Zulon International Bible Institute. Be sure to visit our website, Zulon.org, to learn more about our Bible ministry. That's X-U-L-O-N norg org. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And keep an eye out for our upcoming ebook, Questions About Heaven. Thanks, God bless you, and have a great day.